Good morning and welcome to Glendale Christian Church. My name is Andrew Kirshner. I'm the lead minister here at GCC, and I'm really, really excited that you've decided to worship with us either in person or online today. I'm glad that you are here with us so that we can jump into God's Word. For the beginning of the year is always the time people jump. People get ready to jump into all sorts of new things. We make resolutions of many kinds. One of the most popular resolutions every year is to get healthy physically. Every single January, the gyms swell with new members, but usually by March, it's back to normal because people start to give up. And that's the problem with resolutions. We make them and they don't mean a whole lot. There has to be something that makes it stick in our lives. There are many, many people who want to get healthy physically. And so they think, well, I will eat better exercise more, and there are an awful lot of programs that can try to help you. It's a billion, billion dollar industry, the health and fitness industry in the world, because people are really, really eager to try to get in shape physically. My contention is that we ought to get into shape spiritually. Let's let 2022 be a new year a new program, a new page, and let us have new resolve to grow healthy spiritually. Together, as we march through the book of 2 Timothy, we will see all sorts of different ideas that will help us to grow. And I believe that if we focus ourselves, if we commit ourselves to God, to doing the Father's will, to being compelled by Christ, and to being led by the Spirit, we will indeed achieve the spiritual health that God wants for us. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and please turn them open to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy, of course, follows 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy is written by the Apostle Paul to his protege, Timothy. And Timothy first linked up with Paul as Paul was on one of his missionary journeys and he went through Lystra and he found that there was this young man named Timothy who was very well regarded very well spoken of, and everybody thought very highly of him. And as Paul met him, he saw this young man's faith, and he was impressed. And Paul, in fact, brings Timothy with him on his missionary journeys. Now, the time frame that Paul is writing this letter is towards the end of his life. Paul is in jail again, writing this letter, for Paul gets jailed quite often for speaking the truth and preaching the gospel. And here he writes a letter to his protege, knowing that his life is about to come to an end. Paul will not live much longer. Timothy is now the preacher of the church in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is a large, bustling metropolis with lots and lots of spiritual unhealth happening. In fact, in the book of Acts, chapters 18 uh, and 19, we hear a little bit about uh, Ephesus, and we hear about some of the evil and some of the demonic forces that are present in Ephesus. And we hear about some of the strange and bizarre notions that take place. Timothy was left in Ephesus to be the preacher in a very difficult place, and yet Paul knows that if he's strengthened by the Lord, Timothy will be equal to the task. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and today we'll look at just the first seven verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, 
in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and, I am persuaded, now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Indeed, the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And that's why we are to fan into flame the gift of God in our lives. And the gift of God is truly a profound thing. When we think about our lives in Christ, there are so many wonderful thoughts that flow through our minds. And one of them is often the promise for a better life. When you think about your life in Christ, ask yourself this question. Are you living the life in Christ He wants you to live? Are you experiencing the life that he has called you to. Now, I don't ask this question as a health and prosperity gospel preacher, for I know full well that the Bible declares that if you follow Jesus, you may have no place to lay your head. So I'm not promising you riches. I'm not saying that you will avoid illness or injury. Oh no, quite the opposite. By following Jesus, you may put yourselves in the lion's den, not extricate yourself from it. But what I am saying is that despite our circumstances, God wants a certain life for us, and I wonder if we are experiencing that life. There is the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. We're not supposed to live a life that's the same as it was before. When you enter Christ Jesus, your life is changed. Your life is different. You ought not to live like you once did, and you ought not to live like the world around you. No. There is something different. There is something better. And the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus is not merely eternal life, which will begin after your earthly life. No, no, no. That's not the life that Christ Jesus wants for you. Jesus doesn't want you to limp along in this life, just holding out hope that after death you might experience eternal life. No, eternal life starts as soon as you place your faith in Jesus. Eternal life starts now. We are supposed to experience an abundant, deep life with Christ, which is exactly what Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says, I have come that those who believe in me may have abundant life and have it to the full. Jesus wants you to have a full and abundant life now. Not merely in the waiting and in the expectation of what will come, though the waiting and expectation of what will come is certainly grand as we think about our eternity with God Almighty. But there is eternal life, there is abundant life, there is life to the full that is meant to be lived right now.
This book is not merely about how to get to heaven after we die. This book is also about how to live here on earth now. That is important. We're supposed to live this abundant life that God has for us. But I don't think enough of us do. I don't think enough of us really experience the abundant full life that God has on offer for us. I think that too many Christians are too like the rest of the world. We're too consumed with the trappings of the world. We're too similar to the world. And I'm afraid that if somebody who did not know us examined our life through observation, they might not see that we are demonstrably different than the world around us. May it never be. May we experience an abundant life. We must. For that abundant life causes everything to be different. And the first step to experiencing abundant life is sincere faith. Timothy demonstrated sincere faith, which is why Paul refers back to his sincere faith that he says first emerged in his grandmother Lois and then in his mother Eunice, and now, Paul is persuaded, also exists in Timothy. Now, it's very important to have a family legacy, and family legacy is truly profound. Timothy did not have a father who was a believer. The book of Acts describes his father as a Greek and his mother as a Jewess. And so the idea here was that Timothy's mom and grandmother were raised in Judaism, but his dad, who is a Greek, was not a believer. And then as the full revelation of Christ came and Lois and Eunice accepted the Christian faith, Timothy was explained the faith also, and he developed a sincere faith. We must have sincere faith, but sincere faith must be personal. Just because your grandma is faithful doesn't mean you are. Just because your mom is faithful doesn't mean you are. No matter how faithful your family and your family legacy may be, and it is my prayer that we as parents and as grandparents will do everything we can to lay the solid foundation for faith for our children and grandchildren, but it must be their choice. Faith must be personal. Jesus does not save just because you are in a family that believes. You yourself must believe. Faith must be personal. Jesus Christ is my Savior. Jesus Christ is my Lord. Jesus Christ is my Redeemer. God values my knowledge. God values my service, my worship, my generosity, my family, my membership, my invitation. I have to be involved. Faith is personal. Faith always must be personal, but faith also must include, sincere faith must include belief and trust. Belief and trust are very important aspects to faith, for belief is the intellectual component of the faith, whereby we say, I think that the things described in the gospel are in fact true. You believe them. But belief must also include trust. And trust is the more emotional part of the faith, which says, I know that these things not only are true, but they are true for me. I am included. And when belief and trust get together, you have what the Bible describes as heartfelt belief. It's trusting in your heart, believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. That is important. Now, belief and trust are both mental concepts. Belief and trust happen in your soul. There is no physical action that needs to take place for you to demonstrate sincere faith. None whatever. It's not by any physical work 
we demonstrate faith at all. It is exclusively in our soul. When we believe, this is mental assent, and when we believe in our heart, we have a trusting aspect. But that is not all sincere faith has. That is the first aspect of sincere faith, but sincere faith must also include loving obedience. For if you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that God raised him from the dead, and you are willing to do something with it, even before you take that first step of physical action, just by having the disposition that says, I believe in my heart, and so now I will live this way, and you are about to step, you have sincere faith even before you take that first step of repentance, that step of baptism, that step of confession, that step of living the life that he wants you to. You believe in your heart, but you have to follow that up with action because God prepared in advance all sorts of good works for us to do. But never think that those good works are what make you have sincere faith. Those good works are, demonstrate, are demonstration of your sincere faith. And so, sincere faith has to be personal. It has to involve belief, trust, and loving obedience. These are the three legs that hold up the table top of faith. Faith is so important. And when faith enters our lives, when we hear the gospel message, and we believe in our heart the truth that Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead for our justification, we are saved. For it's with our hearts we believe and are justified. And once faith takes root in our lives, we now have a responsibility. And that responsibility is to take what the Spirit gives and use it appropriately. For God gives all sorts of different things. When you think about Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, so that no one can boast. It's the gift of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Yes, the Spirit gives a lot of stuff to us. The Spirit gives continually. But there's one thing that the Spirit never gives us, and that's timidity. The Spirit never gives us timidity. So eschew timidity from your life. Timidity can be described as fear, this idea of shrinking back, this idea of passivity, this unwillingness to advance. The Holy Spirit has never once given anybody the spirit of timidity. Nobody has been filled with the Spirit and then shrunk back. No one filled with the Spirit remains passive, but always actively moves and advances. God has never given you a spirit of timidity. The Spirit God gives us does not give us timidity, but does give us power. Power! Power is something that Christians don't embrace enough, but it's something that all of us ought to embrace. One of my very favorite Bible verses of all time is Acts 9.22. Here, Saul, the same Saul who's responsible for the very first Christian murder ever, this same Saul who has experienced Jesus for the first time earlier in chapter 9, has been struck blind and after receiving his sight and instruction in the Lord, he now starts to tell people about how Jesus is God when he earlier that month told people that if they believed Jesus was God, he would arrest them, chuck them in jail, or murder them. Same guy. And the Bible says in Acts 9.22, yet Saul grew more and more powerful. 
and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. We are supposed to grow in power. Power is something that overcomes timidity and fear. For as timidity and fear are self-oriented, shrink back, preserve, and be worried, power enables you to do more than you could ever do on your own. On his own, Saul who is also known as Paul, who writes the book of 1 Timothy inspired, and 2 Timothy inspired by the Holy Spirit, the murderer of the very first Christian murder ever is also a very powerful man. By himself, he never could have accepted Jesus and loved him. But because the Holy Spirit has indwelt him, he has power. And he grows more and more powerful as he is more and more led by the Spirit. You can grow in power too. Now, the Greek word for power is dunamis. It's like dynamite. It's this little thing that explodes into huge effect. It doesn't matter what your physical shape is, for I've seen sweet, frail, little old ladies who are spiritual powerhouses and have been way more powerful than myself. I'm very fortunate that every Wednesday at 2 o'clock I host a prayer time right here at church, and I'm filled with, uh, in a room full of spiritual powerhouses. They come and bless me with their presence. They pray with me and for me. And these sweet ladies, and occasionally a couple of men will show up too, are filled with power. And we need to grow in power more and more. But the Spirit does not just give us power. Power is the idea of spiritual oomph. The idea that we can do things because of the Spirit that we could not do without the Spirit. That's power. Do any of us demonstrate that to the world around us? We must. For the Spirit gives power but also gives love. Now love is a necessary complement to power. Love, the Greek word used here by the Apostle Paul, is agape. Agape love is this others-oriented love. It's this uh, unconditional love that is given to others. Now love is very, very important because it also counterbalances timidity. Whereas timidity is self-centered, all about self-preservation, agape love is all about others. Just as power is spiritual oomph, within you and the ability to do something, love is the expression of that power. You have to love people. Loving people is outward. Spiritual power can be inward and vertical, and yet love is the expression of it horizontally and outward to the world around you. Love is very, very important because it centers on the good of others, not merely on the good of self. And so love and power are in fact quite the opposite of timidity. But it's not just love and power that the Spirit gives us. The Spirit also gives us self-discipline. Now, self-discipline is our responsibility. Self-discipline is what we do. Self-discipline is how we grow in power. Self-discipline is how we grow in love. For God will never let us be timid. Timidity is not what He has given us. Self-discipline is the opposite of timidity. Because self-discipline says, I will do what is necessary, actively moving forward to develop myself in Christ, whereas timidity is shrinking back and saying, I will passively let different things happen all around me. 
Stop being timid, Christian. Advance in the faith. Grow spiritually. Embrace the power, the love that the Holy Spirit has given by demonstrating self-discipline. This is what we must do. And yet this is one of the great vexing issues in all of Christianity. What's my role? What do I do? How much am I responsible for in my faith? Because some people just don't understand how much they are involved. Because you might hear preachers like myself say, you do nothing to earn your salvation. And then you may hear preachers like myself say, you've got to do all this stuff. And some people are wondering, well, what, what do you do? I just don't understand exactly what am I, what is my role? What am I supposed to do? Christian, here it is. It's the first Sunday of the year. You all win perfect attendance, 2022 church attendance. Yeah, so far. You're a perfect, perfect streak. Perfect streak. What do you do? What is your job? How much are you involved? In order to understand that, we have to understand a very basic concept, and that concept is salvation. Salvation is the heart of Christianity, for God saves us. And we have to understand that when it comes to salvation, the thing from which God saves us is sin. But salvation is an umbrella concept under which three specific aspects exist. Those aspects are justification, sanctification, and glorification. And they are all unique, and yet they are all part of salvation. Justification is being saved from the penalty of sin. Salvation is from sin, but there are different aspects of sin from which we're saved. Justification is being saved from the penalty of sin. So the penalty of sin is death, separation, hell. Justification says you are not going to hell. Justification says Jesus paid for your sins and all the penalty that is due you because of your sin, that you've been saved from. Jesus has already covered that. That's what justification is. Now, sanctification is being saved from the power of sin. Now, the power of sin, even though the penalty of sin has been paid for in your life, the power of sin still exists in our lives. You may have been Christian for 20 years like myself, or maybe 50 years, or maybe just two months. But even though you've been a Christian and you've been saved from the penalty of sin, the power and allure of sin still exists in your life. There's something about sin that still draws you in. Maybe it's pleasing to the eye. Maybe it's pleasing to the flesh. Maybe, maybe it's this idea that it helps you examine your pride or, or exemplify pride. But there's something about sin that always makes us want to do it. Being sanctified, saved from the power of sin, is becoming more like Jesus, such that you want sin less and less. Jesus was tempted in every way we were, yet was without sin. So as we become more like him, the power of sin becomes less and less in our lives. Now, glorification is different still. Glorification is the aspect of salvation that is being saved from the very presence of sin. Now, look, sin is in your mortal body. Sin is in our flesh. Sin is in our sinful nature. We have it. So even though you've been saved from the penalty of sin, and even though the power of sin becomes less and less in your life, you're still stuck in the presence of sin for now. But don't worry. The effect of these wonderful things is glorious. The effect of these things is this. If you are justified, then you recognize that you are right with God. If you're justified, you're right with God. You are in a right standing with him. And so even if you sin, the penalty for your sin has already been paid for. You're right with God. Now, the effect of sanctification is Christ-likeness. You become more like Jesus. And the effect of glorification is that you get a resurrection body very much like Jesus is. 
But when does all of this happen? Well, it happens in different aspects. Justification is past tense. For the believer, you have already been justified. So you can legitimately say this phrase, I have been saved. You have been. Jesus already saved you. Sanctification is present tense. It's ongoing. So the believer can rightly say, I am being saved. I am being saved from the power of sin. That's true. Even though you have been saved from the penalty of sin. And the believer can also rightly say, I will be saved. Because you will be. There's an aspect of your salvation that hasn't happened yet. None of us have resurrection bodies, which is why every year we make the resolution to make our current sludgy body healthier and healthier. It's, we're, we're on a never-ending downhill slope of unhealth, though, physically. No matter how hard you try, your body will decay. It will get fat, old, gray, cancerous, and eventually die. That's how life goes. But that's not how life ends. That might be how your physical body ends, but God did not design us for this physical body. He designed us for a resurrection body. But the effect of sin has marred the world around us, which is why we get unhealthy physically, but we will receive a resurrection body. So when does all of this happen? How does it work? Well, Jesus' death and resurrection is how justification works. It's only Jesus' work. That's it. That's how resurrection, his death and resurrection, that's how you're justified. Now, sanctification is done by the Holy Spirit. That's how that gets done. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. And when Christ returns, that's when you get your glorified resurrection body. This is really good, but what is my responsibility in these things? Well, I have no part in my justification other than heartfelt belief. There is no physical action of mine whatsoever that makes me justified. For if I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, then I'm justified. It's entirely God's actions. And when it comes to sanctification, it's collaboration with the Holy Spirit. I'm totally involved. And when it comes to glorification, it's all God's actions. When he comes back and when Jesus comes back and gives me a resurrection body, I don't do anything to get that. I just receive it. So, there's only one part of salvation that I am super actively involved with, with my actions, power, love in the world, and that's sanctification. When we talk about spiritual health, we're talking about sanctification. We're not talking about justification. I'm not talking about saving you from the penalty of your sins. I'm assuming that you already have believed in your heart that God raised Jesus from your dead. So we're moving past justification and we are embracing sanctification. That's what I'm talking about. Your action is in sanctification. And everything we're going to talk about the rest of today and the rest of this year is going to involve sanctification. You are involved. You must collaborate with the Holy Spirit. You must let him lead you. You must follow the example of Christ. You must be in the will of the Father. That's what it has to be because the Bible tells us we better do it. Remember what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He said, train yourselves to be godly. Physical training is of some value, but godliness is value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, Fan into flame the gift of God. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And so we need to train ourselves to be godly. We must train ourselves to be godly. And we must fan into flame what God has given us. So that's what we have to do. But there's too many churches that I don't think ever explain how to do it. I've never gone to a church that has explained how to do this effectively, ever. Have you? Have you ever been part of a church that said, here's how I think you can grow in power, love, and self-discipline. 
Here's, here's a potential plan that I think you could employ that could actually help you grow in sanctification and make you more like Jesus by this time next year than you are right now, other than some esoteric read the Bible and pray more. We hear that a lot. I think we can do better. I think we can be more specific. I think we need to focus on spiritual health because spiritual health is the key to an abundant life. Spiritual health is the key to the abundant life, not physical health. I want you to be healthy physically, to be sure, yes, but spiritual health is the key to the abundant life. For even if you are not healthy physically, you can still have an abundant life. Your abundancy is not dependent on your physicality. It is entirely dependent upon your spirituality. It is entirely dependent upon your relationship with God. And so, spiritual health is everything. What is spiritual health? It's training to be godly. We need to train to be godly. Just like if we were soccer players and we might train ourselves to be able to run forever and kick the ball really far, we as Christians need to train ourselves to be godly. For the goal of Christianity is godliness. It's not kicking a ball. We need to grow in godliness. What's the result of training to be godly? Growing increasingly Christ-like. We need to have the expectation that the result of training to be godly will be growing in Christ-likeness. What's the duration? It's a lifelong pursuit. You're not going to be able to do this by tomorrow. You can start by tomorrow, but this will happen the rest of your life. Sanctification is not one of those things that you begin and then it stops. For like everything, if you begin and then you stop, you lose all your progress. It's just like physical training. If you work out really, really hard and you build up some muscles, that's fantastic. And then if you stop working out in a year's time, your muscles will be really small again. You have to continue to work out. It's a lifelong process, and it's part of that abundant life. Imagine trying to live the abundant Christian life without ever training to be godly. It's impossible, which is why there's so many depressed, so many sad, so many worried Christians who are anxious about everything, primarily, oh no, am I really going to go to heaven? Yes, you're justified. Can we please work on sanctification this year? There are so many people who are scared about the penalty of sin. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead after dying on the cross for your sins, you are right with God. Now, take the steps to be more like him. That's what we're focusing on. Now, what's the means? How do we do it? Through active collaboration with the Holy Spirit. There's no room for passivity because passivity is timidity and the Holy Spirit has not given us timidity. There's nothing passive about this. We are active participants. You are active. And the amount that you will act with the Holy Spirit is the amount that you will grow because of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4.30 that we can grieve the Holy Spirit and the Bible tells us in Galatians 5.25 that we can keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit's God, and he'll do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, with or without your permission, but he wants you to be involved. And so, you can keep in step with the Holy Spirit, and you can walk along the path towards Christ-likeness, or you can passively shrink back and grieve the Holy Spirit and fail to live that abundant life. The choice is entirely ours, and the responsibility is ours, and what we need to be responsible for doing is fanning into flame self-discipline, for it is all about self-discipline. How are you going to do it, though? How do you fan into flame self-discipline? My plan is for you to develop a spiritual health and training plan. That's what I want. I want you to have a spiritual health and training plan. That's what I want you to do. And so, what I have done is I've put together, with the help of Chris, I've put together a 12-page packet on spiritual health and training. 
And I want you to take a physical copy if you're here, and I want you to look at the link in the live stream right now, and you should see a URL code that if you hit, it will take you to this exact packet. And if it's not up there yet, it'll be up there very shortly. And you will be able to go to this packet digitally or this packet physically. You can pick it up on the communion tables or out at the hub on the way out. And this packet explains how to develop a spiritual health and training plan. So, how do you do it? I think there are three key steps to developing a spiritual health and training plan. The first step is to assess your current spiritual health by completing the spiritual health assessment. Now, I've been talking about the spiritual health assessment for over a month now, and many of you have taken it, but I still want you to get this packet because it's a brand new, revised, updated, and improved spiritual health assessment. Yes, on page three is the beginning of the new spiritual health assessment, and at the back of it, page four, there's a whole new category. There's an entire new category, and we've cleaned up all the typos. Part of my spiritual development is better learning how to type and fix things. And I think we've cleaned up all the mistakes. I hope so. Nobody has to fell anything. You can feel certain things now. Um, So, good. Get the new spiritual health assessment because it's better than it was and it has brand new categories. So, you need the packet. And I want you to assess yourself and your spiritual health. Now, what's really cool about the spiritual health assessment is that there are different categories. And the spiritual health assessment addresses education because God values my knowledge. It addresses expression because God values my worship. It addresses good works because God values my service. It addresses Christ-likeness because God values my generosity and my growing like Him. It addresses unity because God values my family and my membership. It addresses evangelism because God values my invitation. And it addresses spiritual disciplines because we are told to train ourselves to be godly and to fan into flame the gift of God, which includes self-discipline. So there are many, many questions. And the questions, there's eight questions under each of these seven categories. And that means of these 56 questions, there's a one to five scale. And one means this does not reflect you very well. Five means, oh, you got it all the way. And I want you to think very deeply about your spiritual health. I want you to fill out the new spiritual health assessment. And speaking of spiritual disciplines, this packet also has a list of spiritual disciplines. Do you know what a spiritual discipline is? A spiritual discipline is just a habit or a practice that's a tried and true method that great Christians of the past have used to grow in Christlikeness. Now, the list you see before you is not exhaustive, but this is a list of some of the tried and true methods. Now, the two categories of spiritual disciplines, all of which are described in detail with scriptural reference and uh, pointings in the packet. So get the packet so you can read about these. There are two general types of spiritual discipline. First is the disciplines of abstinence. Second is the disciplines of engagement. Abstinence means stopping something. So you just stop doing certain things. And the disciplines of stopping things include solitude, silence, fasting, frugality, chastity, secrecy, and sacrifice. And and this means I want you to practice stopping certain things. Solitude means I want you to practice stopping being around people. Just go by yourself and God. Silence means I want you to practice stopping all the noise in your life. No background, no fan, no sound machine, no background radio, no background TV. Just go quiet with God. Fasting means I want you to stop eating for a meal. Now, I want you to think about physical health as well. I want you to read the packet because I'm going to explain all these different things. Frugality means I want you to stop buying frivolous things for yourself. 
Chastity means I want you to stop thinking and dwelling on sex so much. Take a time just to stop and pray instead. Secrecy means you don't have to tell everybody all the good stuff you do. You can just give some money without letting anybody know. And sacrifice, I want you to give so much, not just out of your extra, but out of your necessary to see what God will do. These are disciplines that I want you to study, learn about, and then start implementing in your life. But there are also disciplines of engagement, which means starting something new. And so the disciplines of engagement include study, worship, celebration, service, prayer, fellowship, confession, and submission. So study is reading God's word and learning more about him. Worship is expressing God's goodness to the world around you, maybe through music, maybe through dance, maybe through painting, maybe just through contemplation. Celebration is getting ready to party for Jesus because you have to. This life is not a boring life. This is an abundant life, and part of worship includes celebration. And so we need to celebrate, but we also need to serve. We need to serve. We also need to pray deeply, and we need to fellowship. We have to get together because you realize you can't do this Christian thing all by yourself. And you can't have a spiritual health plan all by yourself either. Confession is confessing your sins to one another, as James 5.16 tells us to do. And submission is doing what the good leaders in your life tell you to do. Now, if you can think about all these different areas and you can assess your current spiritual health by filling out that spiritual health assessment, good, you're well on your way. Next, I want you to develop spiritual health goals and tasks. These are very different. I want you to have a spiritual goal. Now, your spiritual goal, and the packet explains all this, might correspond to one of those categories within the spiritual health assessment. So, for instance, you might have a spiritual goal to learn more about God. Goals are allowed to be very generic, very broad. Tasks are very concrete, specific ideas that you can put into practice that will help you reach your goal. So if your goal is to grow in your knowledge of God, you might have a task like, I'm going to ask Andrew or a trusted resource for a really good book or podcast to read about God. Or you might have a goal like, I'm going to start going to the cover-to-cover class, which actually kicks off today. Uh, It's going to be an introduction about that um, in one of the Bible classes. That's going to be fun. Or it might be, I'm going to listen to the entire Defenders podcast by William Lane Craig. Whatever it is, you you have very concrete, specific tasks that help you reach your goal, and you put a timeline on them. So if your goal is you want to become more evangelistic, you might say, I'm going to, um, one of my tasks is I'm going to pray for God to give me a soft heart for the lost, instead of being so antagonistic and angry for the lost. Are you ever angry at people who don't love Jesus? Do you ever look at them and think, they're just rotten, they're just rotten and it's hard for you to have a soft heart for them, if that's the case, it's going to be really difficult for you to share the gospel with them. And so maybe one of the things you do is just pray to have a soft heart about the lost. And then maybe one of the things you do is you say, I'm going to write out my testimony in the next week and a half and share it with three trusted Christians who will help give me uh, pointers and I'll do revisions in the next three weeks. So, in the next week and a half. So, in three weeks' time, I'll write my testimony, I'll revise it, and I'll have it ready to go. And then maybe another task would be, I'm going to talk to six people over the next month about my testimony. Wow, that's a concrete, very specific step that you can take to grow evangelistically. Okay. All right. And then, to make this really sing, I want you to find an accountability partner. I want you to find a friend your spouse, a conversational discipleship group, anybody. I want you to find somebody. It can be Chris, it can be Clay, it can be me, it can be one of our elders. I want you to find somebody that will help you do this. 
Now, on the very back of the packet, there is a sheet that is called the Spiritual Growth Plan, and it has places for you to write out your goal, places for you to write out the tasks on uh, places to write out when you're going to accomplish the task. And then as you journal and as you think about it, you can even mark down the specific day you completed the task. And then you can move on to another. But if someone else knows your plan, then someone else can help keep you accountable. If you try to do this all by yourself, you're not going to be successful. You need to do this with people. We were created to be in community. We have to do this together. So the process is not that tough. Assess where you are based on the assessment within the packet. Think about goals and tasks, which are all described in the packet. And then develop a plan, which even has a very concrete page in the packet to help you. Now, this is one tool. This is just one tool. And you might think, well, fine, there's one tool, but aren't there a hundred ways to grow spiritually healthy? Sure. Yeah. Think about physical health for a minute. If you wanted to lose weight, I suppose you could join MRC, or you could go to Jenny Craig, or you could go to Weight Watchers, or you could do one of the other 120 different weight loss things. Say you wanted to get more healthy physically by moving. You could do CrossFit, or you could do bodybuilding, or you could do bar, you could do Zumba, you could go jogging. You could, there's tons of ways to do all of this. Yes, I know that. Generally, the way to get physically healthy is eat better and exercise more, generally. And the way to get healthy spiritually, generally, is to understand your current level of spiritual health, develop health goals and tasks, and to have someone else help keep you accountable. That's how you're going to grow. Even if your goals and tasks look very different from my goals and tasks, that's okay. But what you might need is a personal spiritual trainer to help you. And so, Chris and I, we're very willing to do this. If you want to call us on the phone, we will set up 15-minute um, appointments, and we will say, all right, how'd you do on the spiritual assessment? And we'll see the areas that you want to grow, and we will help you come up with goals. We will help you come up with tasks. Now, in the packet are some examples that you might come up with on your own. We will be help, happy to help you. And you can call us on the phone. You can come in during office hours. You can do this with conversational discipleship. In fact, a new round of conversational discipleship is about to start. And so if you want to sign up for conversational discipleship, you can do so on the app or at the hub. There's a physical sheet that you can put your information. And you can even say if you want to stay in your current group or join a new group. We can shuffle the deck if you want to. That's no problem. Or if you want to stay with your current group, great. But if you want to join, now's the time. There's, there's no time to sit around. Passivity is done. The Holy Spirit has not made us timid. He's given us power, love, and self-discipline. And it's long past time for all of us as Christians to grow in our spiritual health so that we don't demonstrate spiritual laziness and timidity. It's time. It's time to advance. That's what 2022 is going to be all about. And I hope that so many people experience the abundant life that God has for them. Never the life of health and wealth, but always the life of spiritual health and spiritual riches with Him. For we will grow more in Christ-likeness as we train to be godly. So here's the very specific steps I want you to take this week. I want you to read 2 Timothy chapter 1. I want you to read it every day. Just read it every day this week. 
It's short. It's great. Read 2 Timothy 1 every day. And I want you to read the entire spiritual health and training plan. Read it online. Read it physically. Get your copy at the communion tables or out at the hub where you can also sign up for conversational discipleship. I want you to read the entire packet, all 12 pages. Then I want you to pray. And I want you to pray for spiritual health and self-discipline. That's what I want you to pray for. I want you to pray that God would make you spiritually healthy and that he would give you self-discipline. I want you to start forming a spiritual health and training plan. You don't have to fill out the last page of the packet by next week. I want you to start formulating. I want you to start thinking. This might take a while to get together, and that's fine. You might need some personal training to gear and guide and specifically craft it for your situation. Good, I'm willing to help. And so is the staff, and so are our elders. But here's what I need you to do. Start. Start forming it. Think through that assessment. Start thinking through your goals. Start pondering, who might be good to help keep me accountable in this? Start. And then I want you to invite. I want you to invite someone to talk about spiritual health. This might be your family. This might be another believer. It might be somebody who has no idea what church is all about. You might say, hey, you'll never guess what I heard at church on Sunday. And they say, what? You say, I heard all about how we need to grow in spiritual health, and I think I know how to do it. Are you spiritually healthy? And that might be the start of a great evangelistic conversation. You can invite them to church. I'll explain this again next week to them. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. This is our chance to decide if we are going to be passive, timid, do-nothing Christians, or if we are going to be powerful, loving self-disciplined Christians. It's on us. It's no longer time to shrink back. It's time to advance. It's all about progress, not perfection. I don't expect you to be like Christ perfectly. I expect you to grow in Christ-likeness. By this time next year, we are going to be much more powerful than we are right now. And if not, then we're not doing our job. And if so, then we're going to be living that abundant life that we will want everyone else to experience along with us. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning?